Bibles out, First Peter, if you're from the UK. If you're from Alabama, Peter. Old Pete. First Peter. And we're going to begin in chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. If you're there, say amen. If you're not there, say wait a minute. <laughs> All right. While you're going, First Peter chapter 5. Um, did you see on the screen, I'm entitling this, mess, this series Enlargement. Enlargement, it's based on Psalm 4.1. I read it, I don't know how many times, but there was one time I read it and, and I had a revelation. He says, because that verse says, when, uh, when I was in distress, thou hast enlarged me, or thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. And I got to thinking about that, thinking, wait a minute. When we are in distress, there's an enlargement that's taking place because we learned last week that the word enlargement is the root word Rahab. She was a prostitute in a pagan city and God used her to protect spies so that God's people could, uh, could assume their promise that God had them. So Rahab means to enlarge, but here's the irony about that verse. The word distress means to confine or put in a narrow place. So look at the reverse psychology of God. In order to enlarge us, he puts us in narrow places. And he calls it distress. Anybody here ever been distressed? <laughs> Can I get a witness up in the house? Uh, yeah. So when you start getting distressed, you need to stop and think about, okay, something's going on here. And you need to consider the source of it. Sometimes we get in trouble because of our own selves. Can I get a witness or am I the only one? Sometimes some of the trouble that we have is because we invited it. We opened up the door. We made wrong choices. Um, but other times, it is, it's an attack of the enemy. This is where, this is where we need discernment. Because not every, um, not every attack, I mean, excuse, not every distress is necessarily from the Lord. It, it could be that you're under a spiritual attack and you have to know when to take authority. You, know how to, you have to know when to rebuke the devil. You know how to know when to, when to bind the strong man off of your house. All right? But there are other times where if, you're, if God has put distress, if he's put, I'm going to use the word adversity today, then you can't pray your way out of it. And I wish I could tell you better news. And you say, well, pastor, I'm going to come up there and I'm going to let you lay hands on me and, and pray this adversity out of my life. I can pray all I want to. But if God's sending you through something, he's got something in mind. All right, y'all ready? Here we go. First Peter. Let's pick up with verse 5. First Peter, chapter 5. Yeah, just pick out a chapter. I'm sorry. Which, whatever chapter you like. Uh, 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he, he may exalt you in due time, 
casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And then he ends with a benediction. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's good, y'all. I don't care who you are. That's good information. All right, let's, let's back up a little bit and then we're going to come back to this. I, I, I want you to catch hold of who's writing this, right? It's the Apostle Peter, y'all. And he is of many people, like I'd say Peter and King David are two people I identify with in the Bible. And uh, old Pete was probably not the most likely, voted the most likely to succeed in his fisherman class. All right? When Jesus found him, it was Peter that he said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then it was later that when old Pete had been out fishing all night long and a carpenter came up and said, launch out and throw your net over on the other side. And he said he caught so many fish he had to get help to get all those fish in. In other words, he's showing Peter his power. And then we learn that there was that time when Jesus says, well, who do men say that I am? And it was who that spoke up? Peter said, thou art the Christ. Not the son of the living God. And he says, he says Peter, he says, I, I, I'm going to change. You're going, going to go through a name change here. I'm going to change your name uh, to Petros, to Little Rock, and I'm going to build my rock upon your confession. It was Peter and two other disciples that saw Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. All right? Um, <laughs> this is later in, in, on the notes. It was Peter that Jesus looked at and says, Hey, uh, Peter, Satan has requested you. <laughs> Thank you. Give me some help. The, 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 the other word says, Satan has desired you to sift you as wheat. Thank you, Jesus. And what did you say to him? <laughs> I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> no, no, hold him off. No, he, he is an adversary. And I'm going to bring adversity because he's going to sift through your life. Anybody ever seen a sieve? Anybody ever seen a devil? He's, I'm going to come and I'm going to sift. What's it? And so he's got the devil on a leash. And he says, yeah, he's coming. And then I love this. Jesus says, um, he's going around, he's washing all the disciples' feet. And he comes to old Pete. And uh, what does Peter say? Lord, you shall not wash my feet. You'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says to him, he says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you're not my disciple. Well, then, Lord, wash me all over. 
the artist of overkill. Oh, oh, Peter is. Can anybody relate to old Pete? And then here's another one I can like to. Oh, Lord, if all these other disciples deny you, I won't deny you. Now, you think he's kidding? No. Remember in the garden when the, the, the priest, I mean, the soldiers from the Sanhedrin had come and, and there they are. And, and Peter, man, he's got, he's got nasty all over him. He's, we're going to scrap, man. This is going to be a smackdown right here in Gethsemane, baby. This is the octagon. All right? And he, and he pulls out the sword and he goes and he cuts off Malchus's ear. So was he kidding? No, he was like, yeah, I'm going, I, I, I'm going, we're going to go to the mat for you, Jesus. But what happened? Only just a little while later. And Jesus told him, didn't he? He said, before the cock crows three times, Pete, you're going to deny me. And then it came time. The spirit of fear came on somebody who was the rock and who was bold and ready to stand and fight. And now the spirit of fear has seized him and he's cowering and he's in a crowd. He's, hey, weren't you with him? No! If you go back and read the construction of the language, he actually swore. Yeah, he said a Christian cuss word. And he got all upset because he was being associated with Jesus. Oh, Peter. This is the one that we just read, that just wrote this to us. But uh, let, me, let me continue on because it doesn't end there. Who were the first two at the tomb after Mary had discovered he wasn't there? I love that. Go back and read it sometime. It said, when John's writing it, he said, and then the other disciple outran Peter to the tomb. That's a real humble way of saying, man, I got wheels, man. I can, I can leave you in my dust. He's, he's, like saying, he's so humble. He's saying, the other disciple outran that other disciple. Go back and read that. And then it says, and they came in, and this is a little bit of an Easter message. It said, and when they saw the headcloth folded and put where he laid, it said, and then they believed. Because they realized that what the message in that was is that when a carpenter had been uh, finished with his work, he would go back and he went, and when the people would come out of town, they would find his headcloth folded in front of his work. What he was saying to them, uh, I've, I've left and I've gone away, but I finished what I did. That's why they looked and they said, and they believed. All right? Now, here's old Peter, y'all. And Jesus restores him. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Care for my sheep. And then we know this. It was, guess who was the, actually the second person to preach the gospel? You want to know who the second person was? Peter. You want to know who the first one? I heard somebody say it. It was Mary. The first, I'm not talking about the re, after the resurrection. She was the first. She went to the side and said, he's risen. He's not there. And then Peter and John go out. Guess who was the first to preach on the day of Pentecost? Three guesses and the first two don't count. Same guy. And then I got to say this to you. Y'all, y'all all right out there? Y- y'all see that behind me, don't you? All right. Acts four thirteen. And it said, and when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that these were unschooled men. 
I bet they didn't even use the right verb tenses sometimes. I bet they got their pronouns mixed up every once in a while. Said these men were unschooled and ordinary men. And it said, and listen to what it says. It says, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, do you see, that's the person that just wrote to us. We, we've gone back and we hit the rewind button and we kind of went back to where he was called. But listen, folks, he had to walk through a lot of stuff. He had to walk through a lot of adversity to get to the place to where he could write us what we just read. So I want to capitalize on these couple of words. All right? This, is, this title message, the title of this message is The Advantage of Adversity. The word adversity, I looked it up to make sure we get I'm going to use it as a, as a covering word to cover several things. It's a state, condition, or instance uh, of serious or continued difficulty or adverse circumstances. This is adversity. It is an event or series of events which cause calamity, afflictions, distress, pressure, stress, or Necessities. <laughs> Amen. Woo! Glory. Preach it, brother. Man, that's some. I've got to bring a major correct, uh, correction of. I, I feel like some, some of you, I may be like, you're doing gymnastics over this. Come on, brother. Tell me it's good all the time. You know, God's good all the time, and all the time God is good. Well, that's true, but you're going to go through some adversity. You better listen to me, brother, sister. If you're not going through it right now, you better listen to this. You better take notes. You better listen to this message because if you're not in it now, you're going to go through it. And so you won't be able to find me when you walk through it. Say, where's Pastor Bill? Let him preach that sermon to me now. You better listen up. So the adversity is going to come. And here's what, here's what we've done. And I guess I'm as guilty as, as some preachers who get up at the end of the service when they're going to make the invitation. Say, come to Jesus today. Come and give your life to Jesus because he'll just take all your problems away and everything's going to be good world without end. Selah. And there's that old boy, there's old Bubba coming on up. Well, I need to give my heart to Jesus today. And the preacher said it's going to be all right after this. And then next week all hell breaks loose. And he said, well, I had problems. The only thing is that here's what you need to be giving counsel about, about following Jesus like Peter did. You're just exchanging problems. Amen. Oh, I didn't, I'm not getting much of a, I'm getting some, some help. Somehow I felt like I, I, I can feel that resistance. Ah, you know, come on, come on, talk about bless me all the time. Well, he said, when you go through that whole thing of uh, the Beatitudes, after you'd gone through this whole process, what was the last part of that? Blessed are you when you're persecuted for my name and when men revile you and speak against you and, and you're misused. Hold it. What do you say? The, the Greek word is makarios. All the ones. Oh, I like that one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for it. Preach on that a little while. Oh, I like that one. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall say, preach on that a while. Okay, we will. Now, blessed are those who are persecuted. Hey, don't preach on that. You know, let me get my Sharpie out and I'm going to scrub that one out. 
But listen, some of you probably need to go back to your Bible. If you've been underlining all the ones, all the verses you like, you might better go back and underline the ones that you don't have underlined because that may be God, where God's speaking to you about. Amen. So here's what I see. It's, it's, this, it's this upside downness of God. It's this, it's this, theologians call it the hiddenness of God. When things begin to happen and we can't explain it. Does he heal? Yes, he heals. Does he raise from the dead? Yes, he does. Can he deliver us? Yes, he can. But all I know is, folks, sometimes things happen and we don't have an answer. And this is where I'm kind of connecting with last week and kind of bringing it forward just a little bit. Because today my case study is Peter. Next week my case study is Paul. Peter and Paul. Sometimes you feel like a nut. There you go. And then last, if the Lord will help me, is I'm going to be talking about Joseph. Joseph and what he went through. But this whole thing, you know what, folks? One of the things that confirmed that I was on this, one, I said to several of you last week, you know, you, you encouraged the little preacher that I really, I really received from your message. God spoke to me. And I basically looked at people and said, you understand what I'm preaching right now is where I'm walking from. I, we've gone through hell before, and some of y'all were with us when we went through it before. But now we're being tested as a church. I'm being tested as a pastor. Will you try to manufacture? Are you going to try to help the Holy Spirit out? Or are you going to let God build this church? And so I'm having to crawl up on that cross and I'm needing a little help because I learned that if you crawl up on the cross yourself, you can nail one hand, but you need somebody else to nail the other. I'm walking through this adversity. Remember we, we talked about it there, what, what it is. Calamity, distress, necessities. God confines you, he restrains you, he hems you in. In other words, he starts taking away your options. Watch out what you pray for. Oh, God, use me. Well, get ready to go through the fire. Remember, the, remember that, that the prophecy, or it was John the Baptist. He says, and when he comes, he was gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Well, I want that Holy Ghost baptism. Let me have some of that. But then he says, I'm gonna get, it's gonna be fire. Well, you understand the fire has a twofold meaning. The fire means passion. If you see my eyes a little bloodshot today, if I'm a little stoked up, I, I'm not gonna apologize. Man, I've been praying up early this morning. I've been in the word all week. I've been on this three-day fast, man. I'm about to explode. So I'm filled, man. I just don't poke me because I'm gonna spew. I'm filled with him. But I found that passion is about being passionate about God. Are you? I mean, he, he's got a passionate bride. I, I love that song that says when he's coming back on that white horse, it says that he has fire in his eyes. And the song says, and that fire is his passion for his bride. So he's passionate for us. But what he does, he sends us a baptism that puts a passionate fire inside of us that we say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. So Lord, appointing for assignment, I'll go through hell, whatever God got to do. But then he says, okay, that other part of that fire is persecution. 
Because, oh, don't go there, preacher. Oh, yes, we got to go there. Those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Uh, ready for this? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. Jesus said, in this world, you will. I'm trying to calm myself down here. I'm getting a little, I need to pace myself now. You shall have tribulation. You will. But what? Be of good cheer. I've overcome this. Think about this. He doesn't, he's not asking you to come forth today to give your heart to him so he can, you can live out a wonderful plan. He's saying, come forward and die. I know that's not, it's not popular today. Come on, tickle our ears, brother. No, I want to prick, prick your heart. You understand? Listen now understand that the very emblem that identifies us is a cross the via dolorosa the way of suffering the one who suffered and this later on don't get ahead of yourself preacher but it said though he were a son watch now yet he learned obedience through the things that he suffered And now watch this. And it says, and being perfected, you can read it for yourself, Hebrews 5. Being perfected, he became the author of salvation. Do you hear what I just said? It said, though he were a son, so there was no attainment, there was no performance. He wasn't trying to get to a position. He already was the son. But what? He said, but he learned obedience to the things that he suffered or his adversity. And notice it, he said, and being perfected. Wait a minute, I thought he was perfect. He was as a savior, but he had he was as God, but he had to be perfected as a savior. See, he says we have a great high priest who's who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was tempted in every way. Somebody help me. He was tempted in every respect, just as you are. So there's none of us that can go to Jesus and say, you don't understand what I'm going through. I'm in distress. There's adversity in my life. I'm struggling, Jesus. I'm discouraged. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And he looks and says, I know exactly how you feel. Because I, I am a suffering servant. I've walked through. And when he said, be a good cheer, I've already overcome the world, then that means while you're sitting, oh, glory to God. While you're sitting in the battle, while you're in the midst, and man, there's cannon fire and there's, there's smoke and, and people are falling, 10,000 on your right hand and, and 1,000 on your other, and, and, and they're all falling. And you say, uh, but, but he that dwells in the secret place, of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of you, Lord, you are my fortress. You are my strength. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are safe. I will be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And I know that the battle's not mine, Lord. The battle belongs to you and no weapon formed against me can prosper. And when the enemy cometh in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise a standard. I'm I'm on fire now. I'm not going to apologize because, listen, what I've learned is when adversity comes, it's an advantage. One of the little signs I got this week, actually it was last week, a good friend of mine called. He's been here, Pastor Rick from Michigan. Hadn't talked to him in a while. I said, how you doing? He paused and he says, um, he says, well, Bill, I'm sick. 
This was my roommate in Bible college. He was the best man at my wedding. He says, um, he says, I've been diagnosed with an incurable heart disease. He said, the doctors don't know. He said, but somehow a virus has gotten into my heart. And he said, and they can't fix it. He said, the only thing that's going to save me is to get a heart transplant. And he said, they gave me a timeline. Brothers and sisters, you've got to look at this preacher up here and realize here's, my, here's one of my best friends in the whole wide world. But I was able to say to him, Rick, you've got to understand that when adversity comes, when things happen you don't understand, your place is to trust God. And the Holy Spirit quickened the verse just right, right down in my gut. I said, I've got a verse for you. He said, what? I didn't think about it ahead because I wasn't expecting the news. I said, Proverbs thirteen twelve, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when desire comes, it's a tree of life. And I heard him grunt like I punched him in this. It was the word of the Lord. He's like, ah, I received that. When desire comes, it's a tree of life. My heart's sick. But I have a desire that's a tree of life. See, I know this man walks with God. See, don't come up with the cliches when people are going through stuff. Don't try to judge somebody else when they're going through hell. You see, a lot of people say, you know, well, it's because you're sin in your life. Well, you don't know that. Are you going to set yourself up as judge and jury and say, I'm, let, me, let, me, let me pick you and, and listen, you don't know what's going on in their life. Don't just, just say, well, it's because of sin. Remember the one boy where, where the, the, the disciples said to him, they said, well, Lord, who was it that sinned? Was it him or his parents? And what did Jesus say? Neither. He said, this was for the glory of God. And don't come up with this thing. I hear people do this all the time. And listen, I've, I know a lot of Christians who sat in church and had their heart whipped out by another Christian because somebody is not sensitive to this whole thing about going through the sufferings. And it's this. People say, well, you don't have enough faith. Folks, I want you to know, I know people. I told you about Sister Delina last week. That here's this, this Italian Pentecostal woman who's sitting there and she's got cancer in her body. And every time I'm going in there, she's speaking the word back to me. She's got praise news. She's got the word. Listen, if anybody had faith, that woman had faith. But all I can tell you is she went home to be with the Lord. And it's brought to the place to where we have to trust. You know what? Someday... Miss Mary, you're going to get out of that chair. I don't know. I've been waiting. I've been waiting on you to get up and walk. Because in his presence, I know he can heal. I know he can. But I want to say in front of everybody in this place right now, until she gets up and walks, I know that God is good and I know that he's able Then I heard the news this week that Steve Hill, the great evangelist of Brownsville Revival, passed on, went home to be with the Lord. Along about, and I don't know what the, what the final reason that he died was. All I know is Steve Hill is a man of God. He was a praying man. He's a man of faith. I know people that got saved in those meetings and got healed. Here's a man that God used him to lay hands on the sick and got healed, but yet he died. 
Not in a way that we thought. Here's what, here's what Peter has to say to us today, church. He says that we, go back to the beginning of that. Y'all look at this with me. He says we need to submit ourselves to one another. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Anybody here need grace? Can I give you a little friendly advice? If... Um, there are two ways you can get it. You can humble yourself or you can be humbled. Anybody know where I'm coming from? You can go ahead and just say it right here in front of God, in front, right in the middle of church, God, I'll humble myself, but don't make him have to humble you. He said, but you humble yourself because God gives grace to the humble. He says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Notice the words, due time. In other words, there's a season where God will raise you up and promote you after humbling yourself. What's the next part? Now, my wife pointed this out to me. You know, we often cite this verse out of context. Because, well, the Bible says, casting all your cares upon the Lord. Will you back up and put it back into context? What did it come after? How do, how do we cast our cares upon the Lord? The first thing he says, you've got to humble yourself. And now, because you're humbling yourself, he says, now you can come and you can cast your burdens on me. And I'll, I'll take it up. I love a God like that. Don't you love him today? Jesus, we love you. Thank you for walking this path and already knowing it. Hallelujah. Now, here is his advice. Remember, Peter? He says, now, I want you to be sober. I want you to be vigilant because your adversary and there's the word adversary is very similar to the word adversity. Go back to that. Guys, I know I'm kind of skipping around back there. Adver adversary, look up on the screen. An adversary is one who contends with, opposes, and resists. It's an enemy who has enmity. It's an accuser who appoints himself prosecution in legal proceedings in a court of law. This is the adversary. And what Peter says is that you have a personal adversary. Look at me. You, you have somebody who is personally appointed himself to be your accuser. You have somebody uh, with hell, associated with hell and minions, who, who have said, I am going to stop her progress. I'm going to stop and I'm going to resist whenever you try to grow and try to become. I'm going to stop and I'm going to try to be your adversary and I'm going to represent you in a court of law. I'm going to, excuse me, represent myself against you. I, I appoint myself as the prosecuting attorney and I will rail. I will, I will, anything I can find, I will bring it up and if it's like spaghetti, I'm going to throw it up on the wall and see if it'll stick. That's the adversary. But this amazing thing of how God uses things Folks, remember what we said. We're not talking about where we allow him to come in. We're talking about like, okay, how about with Peter? He said, Satan has desired you to sift you as wheat. We don't see anything there. That what he did, it's just, he's just, you're about to go through something, son. And what did he say to him? He said, but I prayed for you. That what? Y'all help me. That your faith Fail not. So, Sister Anna, what is the adversary after when we go into adversity? He's after our faith. He's trying to destroy. Do you believe today? 
Do you know that your faith can get you through when, when the winds start beating against your house, when you get a report, when, when you don't know how you're going to pay the bills, when, when you're feeling weak and when you're going through deserts, you're going through wilderness places, you, I don't know how, but see, it's then that you're being strengthened. It's then that you're really learning the lessons. And he's an adversary. And look at what it says. And it says, and he, the adversary, walks about like. Everybody see that? Like a roaring lion, seeking whom he, look at this word. Go to say, is it, where are we? Uh, Yeah, there you go. Seeking whom he may. May devour. Two words there you need to pick out. One, it says he's not a lion. He's like a roaring lion. You know what I have found in the word of God? Why is he like a roaring lion? Because he knows who the king of kings is. And so what he tries to do is try to realign your authority and your submission to his fear instead of obeying the one who gives you courage and strength. And he comes in, he comes in and he, and he roars. You see, that's what lions, if you know these beasts of prey, is that when they find a flock, like something they're going to attack, they'll have one who will sit off in the, in the brush and he will roar. And in the fear of the sound of that roar, he sends the flock scattering across the field where strategically the other lions are waiting on the other side to devour And he says, now notice, he says, your adversary is like a roaring lion. He didn't say he was a lion. He said he's like one. And then he says, seeking whom he may, which means the ones that's gonna be devoured in this case are the ones who choose to. But now he moves into another, he says, yeah. He says, all right, so you need to understand that he's gonna roar and he's gonna try to come. He's gonna try to steal your faith. What happened to, to Peter? said, after he went through that sifting, it said, he said, you are to return and strengthen your brothers. Hey, brother, sister, where did he get that strength from? When he walked through that adversity, what happened to him? Something happened that he didn't have before. The sifting brought him to a place to where the adversity was now to his advantage. It was working out good for him because of what he went through. Do you see that? You see, oh, glory to God, Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I am convinced. Hear me now. I am convinced that when we get to heaven and you are in eternity looking back on your life, what you and I are going to realize are that your mountaintops become your valleys and your valleys become your mountaintops. Every place to where you suffered loss, you're going to find out that was where you won. You're going to find out that where, and and this is all over the place, that where it looked like there was an apparent defeat in your life, that you look back and it was an ultimate triumph. Mm, Boy, I'm really, I'm going to have to hold off on that. All I can tell you is that I, I need to go there at some point about something that I have heard little teaching on in churches. And that is this, the power of non-resistance to evil, to remove it. Let me just take you there and then I, I gotta jump off of that. 
But I, how about this? Turn the other cheek. How about this? The one who demands you to go a mile, go, go an extra. The one who asks for your, for your shirt, give him your cloak too. Your cloak, give him your shirt too. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Remember what Jesus, Jesus said to Peter in the garden? He said, put away the sword. He said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And then, and then uh, what, what happened? He said, didn't you know that I have legions of angels to call upon? All I got to do is say, that's it, Father, I've had it with them. Boom. It would have been, been ash heap. All he had to say was the word. So would you think with me just for a moment? The power of non-resistance, it shut the gates of hell and it rendered the enemy powerless because he did a reverse sting operation. There was a counteroffensive of the way the world always thinks things. Jesus carried out a different way. Here's Satan, that, that serpent, the adversary thought he had him. Ah, I got him on the cross now. They've beat him. They've, they've wounded him. They've, they've, they, they, they scarred him. Now look at him, he's hanging on a cross. Now I've got him. And Jesus feels the chill of death going up his spine. And he's feeling his breathing getting shallow. And he's saying, oh, I'm feeling death come upon me. And what we understand when we say in the scripture is that when he had the power, he could have just pile-dried the enemy into the ground. If it was a boxing match, it was over as soon as the bell rang. Are you hearing me? But how did he defeat him? The lion became a lamb. And in doing so, he took, and I've learned this when I took martial arts years ago. In judo, when a person is offensive and they're aggressive and they're coming at you with all their momentum and all their might, you just simply use their own momentum and their own weight and you take them off their feet and you take them and you slam them to the ground using their own weight to destroy them. And at the cross, Calvary, when the adversary came to the Son of God, he took the momentum and he slammed him to the ground and said, it is finished. And the word says that he triumphed over him at the cross. Come on, somebody. He, he made a public spectacle of the devil triumphing over him at the cross. Glory to God. And this is what Peter knew. He said, this kind of Jesus, this suffering servant who was wounded and who was bruised, he took the enemy's tactics and he used it to reverse it against him. Paul alludes to this, and I'm trying not to get over to Paul, but I had to mention this. It's Second uh, Corinthians 2. said, for to, for to this end, he's writing to the church at Corinth about an offense that had taken place in a church. Anybody ever heard of an offense taking place in a church? Woo! And he says, for to this end I also write that, that I might put you to the test. Adversity is a test. And he says, that I might put you to the test to see whether you're going to be obedient in all things. Now, now listen to this. Now he says, now if you forgive anything, I have forgiven uh, for your sakes in Christ's presence. In other words, if you forgave that person, I'm going to bind with you and whatever is bound in, in, in heaven, on earth is going to be bound in heaven. This is a government, these are key, kingdom pieces because you forgave him, now I forgive him. And he said, I did it in the presence of Christ. How many of you know he's right here? He, he's here by his spirit, but he's here. 
And now, now notice this, because we're talking about how we can defeat the devil, not with, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slam him, you know, with a haymaker. It's that there's a way we can defeat him by yielding to the Lord and letting God defeat him. He says, uh, lest Satan should take advantage of us. In other words, he doesn't have advantage over you unless you give him advantage. And what is he saying? He said, because we're not ignorant of his devices. So what does that mean? That means that if we do not forgive, we open up a means for the enemy to become an aggressor and to devour us. And he has legal right because we've opened that to him. Y'all all right out there? Peter's example teaches us a few things and I'm going to get to the picture behind me. I love this. Jesus, through Peter's example, calls ordinary men and women. When he calls them, he didn't go to Hebrew University. He didn't go to some seminary. Not that there's something wrong with that, but I understand that these were ordinary. These were blue-collar men. And he said, I'm going to call ordinary. Is it, do we have any ordinary people in the room? Well, he, then, then you qualify for God to do the extraordinary because he loves to use ordinary men. I love this part. I'm going to amen myself. I'm already going to say it. Amen. Jesus does not wait till we're perfect to use us. He doesn't wait till you get your act together. Well, if you just get your act together, then I could use you. <laughs> Y'all not hearing me. He, 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 you're getting your act together while he's using you. In fact, he's the one who helps you get your act together. Um, Jesus may not always call the most qualified, but he always qualifies those he's called. Watch out now when you say, Lord, use me. Then he's going to say, then I'm going to have to send a little adversity in your life. I'm going to have to send a little distress, a little difficulty, some hardship. I'm going to get some reproaches, some persecution. Oh, I know that won't preach in the American church today. But let me tell you something. Church, look this way. This pastor has been to 19 countries. I've preached the gospel in prisons. I've preached it on streets. I've preached them in schools. I've preached them in churches. And can I tell you, I've been to third world countries. Places like Haiti, like Mexico, like Jamaica, places like Indonesia, and can I tell you this, that, that I have found, Lord, give me grace to say that. Hear my heart now. I have found that I have gone into these countries where Christians there were under severe persecution. And I have looked into the faces of Christians and saw a, a people that were more pure, more on fire, loved the Lord, and yet many of them came to that meeting at risk of their life because of somebody that's against the meeting, that, that church taking place in that city. And what I have found is that these folks who are in the midst of persecution, these Christians are more pure and more powerful than most American Christians who are fat and flabby and short of breath and over-organized and sitting in church and they don't do a thing and yet when hell hits their life, they don't know where to go because they've never experienced persecution. Listen, you go to a zoo and see the animals that have been caged in and they, every day that man, that woman comes and brings them. What happens? They start losing their fire. 
They start losing their aggression to take hold of what they were created to do. What It's just innate, an instinct within them to do. And before long, you see these animals. It can be a bear or, or a lion or whatever. And see, they become fat. They become flabby. They become uh, unproductive because they don't have that prowess awakened in them. The word of the Lord came to me this week when I was praying about this church and praying about where we are. And the Lord told me uh, prophetically, he said, you are to awaken the dreamer inside of you. And I'm saying to every one of you, you have dreams and you have things that God wants you to accomplish. I'm speaking prophetically to you and saying, it's time to wake up the dreamer inside of you and let him or her dream again. God's looking for a people who will sit and dream with him and say, God, what's possible? What can you do with a people who are really purified, who are really, their hearts are after you? Not that we're perfect, not that we've arrived, but that we're just willing. We're just available. God, you use ordinary people. I'm trying to turn the corner here, pray for me. I also learned about Peter. God has a place and a time where he'll restore us when we fail. Aren't you glad for that? Anybody here ever failed? Anybody here ever come up short? Anybody here ever ever uh, uh, made a mistake? I want to introduce you to a Jesus that finds a place and a time and says, I, I can restore you. I can bring, I, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I'm with you. Even when you walk through the fire. See, that's, that's, a, that's what's amazing. When he says to Peter, he says, when you're going to go through it, he says, uh, but remember this, I prayed for you. What does that mean? As Peter's being sifted, the Lord is saying, you're not alone. Beloved, you got to hear this. Whenever you're alone, you're never alone. If you feel like you're walking through something and and nobody knows what you're going through, understand somebody does. He's walked through it before and he's with you in it. And not only that, I need to take it to another level. As you're going through it, he is praying for you. He's not putting you down. He's not judging you. He's not condemning you. It says that he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. In other words, if God's for you, who can be against you? In other words, that if there's one that condemns, he says, no, I'm the one that justifies. Help me, Lord. So, adversity makes us perfect. Skip down to the end there, you guys. Let me see, put it up on the screen. How does it work for us? Let's look at, let me just lay it out. Jeremiah, come on, help me out. The adversity advantage, look at this again. First Peter 5, 10 says, but the God of all grace. <laughs> Notice here, he identifies himself. Beloved, Yes, grace is unmerited favor to reach down into that pit that you may find yourself in. There is no hell so low that his grace doesn't go deeper. I know some, oh, you, you, you done gone liberal on us, preacher. You preaching cheap grace? No, that's why he died. When you're at your weakness, I learned that he said, he said to Paul, he said, when you're weak... Not when you're strong, not when you're hitting on all cylinders, not when you've got it all together, not when you're on the mountaintop. He says, but when you're weak, my strength is perfected in your weakness. What an amazing God this is. He's even using my weaknesses. He's a grand weaver. 
He's a knitter. He's, he's, he's embroidering my choices and my circumstances. And he's saying, Bill, if you'll just keep following me, if you'll just not give up and let adversity do its work, you're going to like what it turns out to be because I'm working it for your good. He said, that's the God of all grace. And what does he say he's going to do? He says, he has called you to his eternal glory. So in other words, we've got to get an eternal perspective of what you're walking through right now. I don't know what you're going through, but if you're going through a tough place, you need to understand this. We read the end of the book. We know how this thing's going to turn out. So child of God, don't be in despair. Don't let discouragement override you. Be of good courage. Be strengthened in the Lord today because he's with you. And notice what he said the result of your adversity is going to be. He's going to make, after you've suffered for a while, thank you, Lord. I'm glad, I'm so glad he said for a little while. Some of us maybe have been suffering for a long time. But can I tell you a little secret what I've learned? Whenever you're having to pay a great price to go through something, there is a greater reward. And there's something else I've learned too. That the greater the cost is, during worship, you're standing there. And there's nobody around you that understands the hell you've been walking through. And they don't understand the fiery darts and the hits that you've been taking. And you say, God, I've got pain inside me. I've got pain in my heart. I'm walking through adversity. I've learned that that praise is the praise that counts the most. Anybody can praise Him when it's all good, y'all. Anybody can praise Him when you're on the mountaintops. But when you stand there with tears rolling down your face and you say, God, I'm in pain. God, I'm suffering. But I want to tell you you're good. I want to thank you you didn't give up on me. I want to thank you that you're going to get me through this. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? And he says, after you've suffered a while, I'm going to make you perfect. You see, the adversary is getting a counterpunch thrown at him. What he hits you with, he thought he was going to knock you out. God says, no, I'm using it to perfect you. I will settle you and I will establish you that nothing can knock you down. Nothing can knock you off of your assignment. Do you hear this, child of God? Do you hear this? It was Peter. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to apologize about being emotional. I've had... I know some people don't like for the preacher to get emotional. Church, I'm on fire! I have seen him. I have walked through these places and I'm walking through it right now. And the tears that I have, I know they come from a deep place deep down inside that I have found him in adversity. It was this Peter that Jesus was out during a storm. And it says that Jesus was walking on the water. I need you to grab hold of this child of God. Said he was walking on the water. And they saw and they said, we, we thought we saw a ghost. And, 
and Jesus identifies himself. He says, no, it's me. It's me. Now listen to what happened. Peter, our case study today, not the other disciples. There was only one sitting in the boat that looked at Jesus and we don't know why. I can, I can imagine some pointy-headed theological professor saying, well, you know, what's Peter doing asking to walk on water? Who does he think he is? Some of you that said, Lord, I want to walk in the impossible. Some of us that have said, Lord, I want to see the supernatural. Lord, I don't want church as usual. I don't want to just live a, 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 just a, an average Christian life. I want to see. Does anybody understand? Anybody agree with what I'm saying right now? That God, we don't want just the same old, same old. We don't want just the usual. Peter says, and this is what the movie Son of God misses. Peter first stands up and said, Lord, if that's you, command me to come to you and you see the picture up here if you can't from the back Jesus has his arms open and he says Peter come you want to walk on water you want to see things unusual you want to see things uncommon in your life do you want to do what even the other disciples are sitting in the boat aren't willing to do I'm going to take a common man. I'm going to take a man who's got issues. You understand Peter had issues, don't you? Even I'm talking about after he was saved. He still had some issues. And he said, he said, he said Lord, Lord, if that's you, tell me to step out there. And you know the story, don't you? It says he began to walk on the supernatural. He begins to walk on the impossible. But what happened? He took his eyes off of Jesus and it said and when he saw the wind and the waves he began to sink and it said and immediately the Lord reached down and picked him up aren't you glad here's what the Lord is saying to you here's what the Lord is saying to the church your adversity is working for your advantage you ever heard the statement that goes like this Adversity does not make the man but reveal what the man is. According to what we just read in 1 Peter 5, adversity both makes the man and reveals what the man is. So when you're going through testings, when you're going through trials, understand, just like Job, there's a double blessing on the other side of your obedience. There is reward for your not giving up and becoming discouraged. And I want to tell you, I want to charge you as a church that we are not to give up, that we are not to allow discouragement to come in, that I charge you that we are supposed to be the most positive, faith-filled people in this city. We are the ones because we have a dream. We have a vision. We know where we're going. And even though we go through sifting and we go through adversity, we know how it's going to turn out. Because faithful is the one who promised who will also bring it to pass. Could you stand to your feet this morning? Hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, I feel the anointing all over me right now. The word of the Lord has been released into this house this morning. And I don't know who I'm talking to. 
But as I told you at the beginning of this church, if there's a God-ordained fire, if there's an adversity, he said, because these, these sufferings are common among your brethren in the world. He said, but after you've suffered for a while, he said, the Lord's going to make you perfect. He's going to establish you. He's going to strengthen you, and he's going to settle you. Ecclesiastes 7.14 says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. In the day of adversity, consider. Here's what I want to ask. Jesus. I would be remiss if I didn't do this. If you are here today, and you're not right with God, you see, you found yourself in church today, but you, you're standing there and you said, if I were to come out to where you are right now and say, if you died right now, would you go to heaven? If you would say, I hope so, or I believe so, or I don't know, then friend, please, don't leave this place today not knowing where you're going to spend eternity. This is probably the most important part of this service is that if you walked into this place and you said, I need to get right with God, then he's focused on this right now. It's an obsession of his because he loves you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in this place and you say, Pastor, I need to get right with God and God has spoken to me and today is my day, today is my day to come back to the Lord and get right with God. I want to give you this invitation and give you this opportunity right now. If that's you and the Lord has spoken to you, I just want you to get your hand up right now, up in this place. Anybody say, I need to get right with God. Just put it back up and back down. Just between you and the Lord. Yes, yes, I see that. Anybody else? Say, God's spoken to me. I need to get right with God. Who else? Over here? Yes. Yes, thank you so much. I'll pray, Christian. Pray, Christian. Friend, if you feel a tug on your heart right now, respond to that. That's the love of your Father. He's wooing you. He's drawing you. In Jesus' name. Yes, I see your hand back there. Yes, young lady. God knows who these hands are. I want everyone to pray this with me. And if you pray this prayer and mean it, God will hear an answer. And your prayer is going to come true. Say this with me, everybody. Say, Jesus, I come to you now. And I confess my sins. All of them. Every one. And I ask you now to cleanse me and wash me clean in the blood that you shed for me. I believe you died on the cross and I believe you rose from the dead and you did it for me. Now I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord, my Savior, and my soon coming King. Today, Jesus, I give you my life because you gave me yours. I mean this prayer with all of my heart. I'll serve you all my days because of your great love for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Now those of you who prayed that prayer and you meant it, those of you who raised your hands, let's let's pray for them right now. Father, may the power of the Holy Spirit fall on them right now and bear witness with them that they are the children of God. And Lord, I pray a hedge of protection that the evil one could not come and steal them away. That Lord, you'll keep them until they get their roots set 
and Lord, they become productive as disciples of yours. God, I pray your blessing and your protection on them today. In Jesus' name, amen.